pop, 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 pop. Here we go. The John Curley Sherry Elliker Show. Sorry, Sherry Elliker and I can't remember who the other person is. Really cool. uh, Raquel Welsh again. Bring her in, please. <laughs> again? I, I couldn't. I, Chris sent it to me, and I don't remember what it was, and it's up to Jacob. Now it's on him. Diving in. Cesar Romero and Harvey Corman. Yeah, oh. Harvey Corman. Love him. Jacob. Yes. Are you? Oh, you're asking if I know who these people are. No. Right, moving on. Uh, let's see. Well, let's see. If you're a Seattle police uh, policeman or policewoman, and you're a cop, you're out there walking the beat. You know that uh, you already know the city council will hate you. They all think you're racist. Uh, and um, they want to reimagine position, uh, uh, policing. And remember, they wanted to cut the staff and cut the budget by 50%. That doesn't earn you any friends. Then more than 500 and some have left. They expect 17 to leave at the end of this month. And I've heard from friends that another 20 may be leaving as well as they burn up their vacation. We are a city total population. What? Um, where are we? One uh, 750 some thousand living in Seattle. Um, and we will have under 500 police. Not a good, not a good plan so far. So I've got an idea without telling the cops, without letting them know already morale is extremely low. The cop out on the beat knows that the city council hates them, knows that the media hates them outside of, uh, Cairo, a few of us at Cairo, um, and let's do this. When they have their body cams on, without telling them, let's pay for this AI company to record their voices and then through an AI algorithm determine whether or not their voice is too high or too low or too aggressive. Let's put in some keywords that we can be looking for to determine if the cops are behaving the way we want them to behave. Let's, in effect, spy on them and, and, well, what do you know? They have found out they've been spied on, Sherry. This is a program. It's called Trulio, and it analyzes body cam footage to see if they can identify anything like overly aggressive language. Um, They analyze words and tone. The problem is that it doesn't have context, right? I mean, you can only Mm -hmm. do so much with these programs. So in addition to the AI program being a secret and these police officers not being informed that they were being spied on and analyzed, the program could be wrong because they don't Mm -hmm. have the, they, they're, they're not there. I mean, it's just, it's just based on whatever the algorithm is within the, within the, um, the AI program. And also whatever the bias is. Of right. the individual that programs the AI. That's right, yes. I, I, I heard from a friend of mine this morning. I asked him about it. He said, yeah, it was in the locker room last night. The story broke, and it's blowing up, and a lot of young guys are already starting to talk about transferring out. Uh, do you blame them? <laughs> no, I don't know why. I, Listen, I, 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 I don't know why is... anybody would want to work the Seattle Police Department. I know you got into the business because you like to serve. I know a bunch of friends of mine, they're cops. Like, look, 
I like to serve. I like to help. I like to, I'm the guy that, you know, jumps out to push a car or a guy that tries to pull a cat out of a tree or a guy that just tries to do the right thing. But don't forget, um, you're a horrible individual if you're a cop, according to the, our city council. Do we have a sound on this thing, Jacob? Yep. Uh, so Seattle Police Union Guild, Mike Solon, spoke to Jason Rand. So this is him kind of oh. laying out the, uh, the, okay. the issue they have. We have an understanding with the city that that footage is obviously city property, which is public property. And it can only be used for specific purposes, for accountability and for training and just from learning. What we didn't agree to, nor did we understand until late last week when I was made aware of this by several of my members, is that the department had partnered in 21 with a third-party company. And the third-party company was using artificial intelligence software to analyze the body-worn video audio that is assigned to a specific officer and going through the data of said audio captured in the video portion as they interact with the community to flag problematic words that the officer may have said to whomever they're interacting with, whether it's coworkers or whether it's the community. And the issue is they didn't let the officers know that they were doing this behind their backs. Hmm. Question would be, why not? Why not tell them? What's the reason that you kept this from them? Because they want to be able to, for training purposes, I imagine, uh, give examples of people being uh, caught doing this. And this is just another indication from the police officer's perspective that the city continues to build a case against them over and over and over again. It's just Mm -hmm. one more thing where they feel like, they everyone is against them and they're looking for problems they're looking for reasons i mean everybody wants police officers to do the right thing everybody wants them to behave in a way that is conducive with with what what it, with being good officers we all know that but to spy yes. on them and and to almost almost be looking for reasons to what get rid of more reprimand mm-hmm. more so no wonder they're so discouraged can i play one more this is again uh solon yeah. talking about what his understanding is of what the software is looking for and what they're doing with that information anything okay, that good, was deemed racist in nature issues that would flag an officer being unprofessional and then the software would learn from the words an officer would use and then all that data of the words being said verbally out loud to whomever they're interacting with would be cleaned and filtered, if you will. And then that data compared with the AI would then be put into a database where it would rate every individual officer with how they speak, identified their, their inflection, and then have that officer rated in terms of comparing to community standards, whether or not the officer was professional. So say, for example, Mike Solon has a year of interacting with people. We compare his words via this AI software, and he has a rating of 90% being professional and a 10% rating of being unprofessional. Hmm. Wow. There's a lot of cops that listen to this show as they're driving into work or driving around. 
I'd love to be able to get some text messages. We won't say your name on the air, obviously, because God knows they're watching you. They're listening to you. They're collecting the sound of your voice, and they're running it through an AI that we already know AIs have built-in bias because they're built by human beings, and human beings apparently have bias unless you take a bias training program. Um, so t- I would love to hear, like, does it change how you behave? Um, and here's the other question. At what point will you be asking for a transfer from an, from Seattle to another department where after you're trained uh, and after you put the hard work in and after you try to do your best every single day, uh, you're still crapped on by your city? So you text at the uh, State Review Text Line, one 973 Five four. Can't get rid of that. What is that, mm-hmm. Sherry? It's okay. You got Seven, it. Seven six. Did it. Yeah. You know what I would like to know is: Has anybody mm. been called into a conference or a meeting or anything about their attitude, not knowing that this was in place? Has any? Have there been any repercussions as a result of this? Has anybody yeah. been confronted about it? Well, all you have to do is go to the bottom of the probably the 50-page contract that you signed with this company. I was reading about how in other cities that are using it as well. You go on the bottom, find out who signed off on it. Who who is it? Diaz. Diaz doesn't have a whole lot of respect uh, for the guys that are on the street because they don't see him necessarily as being a cop that has been out there long enough to know what happens on the road. I always say anybody, any city council member, every single city council member should ride along with the police at randomly drawn hours, randomly drawn cops, and ride along for at least two weeks. Do a night shift, do a morning shift, you know, be in the east precinct, be in the west precinct, do a ride along. Get a chance to see what it's like. Uh, walk in their shoes. See what, see what it's like talking to the public. Find out how they do their job. Wouldn't you, if you were a city council member and you're trying to get more police to come here and you're trying to show that you support police, wouldn't you want to have a better understanding of what it's like every single day out there on the streets? That would be kind of a good idea. Um, but not going to do that because remember, um, in the world of identity politics, which is the giant cesspool that Seattle, a lot of Seattle residents and a lot of Seattle politicians swim in and, and drink from every single day. You start out already dividing people by the color of their skin and who they like to have sex with and anything else, any other sort of, you know, identity that's important. And then you, you create the separation between this group and that group and then you pit them against one another. Um, I don't know what the fallout is. What's, what is the, uh, president of the union said? What's Mike Sullen said? Is he going to, do anything about this? Like this is probably not in their contract when they agreed to this, right? Well, they discontinued it, according to Jason Rance. The department discontinued its use. The spokesperson said after hearing from privacy rights advocates who noted the AI reviews civilian footage too. So there was Uh-oh. a privacy problem because those interactions included private citizens as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw one piece. I think the people were suing or they they went to. I forget which city it was in. I can't remember. I think they sent that article over to you. And this, the citizens are allowed to say, hey, I understand that my voice was captured as well in that. Please delete it. And I think they, they should can delete it, right? They can pull that out of there because that's sort of collateral sound that's not necessary because you're just trying to find out what the police are saying. 
Well, I would imagine that it's somewhat relevant because the police are reacting to something. So they, it's really out of context if you can't hear what the other person is saying. If there's what mm-hmm. they're saying is, is something that could provoke an officer or if they're being compliant and the officer is being belligerent. I mean, you'd think you'd have to have the dialogue there in order to get a full assessment. Yeah, boy. It's not going to do, well, do much for them. I know they put a bunch of money aside in order to be able to retain officers and then offer offer uh, signing bonuses and try to get other officers to come over to Seattle. This certainly won't help any. So this would be the continuing decline of the number of officers out on the street as they drop. And we can't we don't get a real solid number either. That's the other weird thing, because what they'll do is they slide the numbers around. If they take somebody that's normally working the streets and they push them over to some other department detective uh, csi or something else they don't take them off of the beat cop uh roster their name their number stays on there they move them over to some other department where they're not out there on the streets responding to calls but they keep the number on the books to keep the number higher be great to see what the real number is how many are out there and how many of these guys are working overtime heard from another cop buddy of mine said this he says in all his years he's never seen this a lot of times the West Precinct will say, hey, listen, um, anybody want to do another shift? Guy, yeah, I'll do another shift. He said the first time he's ever heard where one precinct, like South Precinct, calling East Precinct and saying, do you guys have anybody, anybody that wants to work another double? Well, you take somebody that's already worked eight hours, and you're going to turn them around and send them back out on the street again to work another eight hours. So not only is overtime extremely high, but every hour past your normal routine, when you start to get fatigued and tired, you begin to make more mistakes. Uh, tempers will flare again. You might do something that causes you to be unsafe or for the citizens to be unsafe. You begin to make more and more mistakes. Would you want a pilot? Because often you've seen if you ever got delayed at a gate, right, Sherry? And they say, well, you know what? We delayed so long, we have to bring a new crew in. Why are you going to bring a new crew in? Because you don't want that pilot to be tired flying 12 hours and then getting behind uh, into the cockpit and flying for another 10 hours or something like that. Oh, why not? Well, for safety's sake, you know, the guy gets tired, makes mistakes. Yeah, okay, same thing. Now let's put a gun in somebody's hand and have them out on the streets where people don't respect the police to begin with and have them work another eight hours. I think it's kind of, you think things are going to go well I mean, they are creating a ticking time bomb um and because they do stuff like this where they spy on the police then you're going to have a harder time filling that roster with other policemen and police women that would like to be able to serve with honor and respect to the citizens of seattle you won't have it and believe me, news travels very quickly. You can go onto a website. I think Police One might already have this story. And once word gets out across the United States, Seattle spies on police, you know, pretty much you're going to be able to write the uh, obituary for uh, people, for cops working in the city of Seattle. It's just sad. One stupid last- mistake after another. Yeah, and the last thing they need is yet another PR problem. To, oh. to add to, to to add to the idea that this is not a good place to work. I mean, count on what's a count on, countdown, Jacob or Sherry, till Jason Rance gets on uh, Tucker Carlson this morning this evening with this story, huh? Uh, it usually happens about five fifteen, I think. So I can smell the pancake <laughs> makeup from here going on, okay. Jay, Jason Rance's face. Oh, wow. That's no, that's that's a compliment. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks good. Yeah, a little pancake makeup on there. 
Alrighty. <clears throat> wow. One triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. Police officers, do you enjoy being spied on? And at what time will you be asking? And how will you be asking for a transfer? Where would you like to go instead? So pathetic. Yikes. All right. Lots of other stories. And some fun stories as well. We'll get to all of that. Plus, if you knew you were on the wrong flight, you made a terrible mistake trying to go to Sydney, Australia, and you went somewhere else. Would you even admit it? Would you want to take photos of yourself sitting on a runway in Montana? Sheesh. Here we go. The John Curley, Sherry Ellinger Show. Uh, by the way, uh, the good piece uh, that Jason Rance has, and uh, thanks to uh, Frank, uh, Frank Summerall over there at uh, MyNorthwest.com. You can read more about it, about how the uh, police in Seattle had, um, without them knowing, they were um, being recorded. Okay. I read this article. I thought, oh, my gosh, am I a commando parent? The controversy commando parenting is trending. Oh, boy, trending. Uh, here's what the psychiatrists uh, have to say about kids that are impacted and uh, how it impacts kids. Okay, Sherry, I'm sitting down. What did I do to my children? Well, first of all, let's talk about what commando parenting is, unless you would like oh, to describe no. it. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So commando parenting is is basically full control over your children. So if you have a kid that is really out of control, what you're supposed to do, and this this became very popular with Dr. Phil back around 2004 and 2005, and he advocated for this. Uh, they're now looking at this, revisiting it, and, and deciding it's not necessarily very effective or is it a good idea. But anyway, back then, the idea was if you have a child that's misbehaving or really in trouble, you remove just about everything from their universe. You take everything out of their room, any kind of luxury, phone, television, anything. You also don't touch them. You don't hug them. You don't give them a kiss. You can give them a handshake. Um, you basically deny them any kind of luxury or anything that might offer them comfort. And then you work on a series of rewards. If the behavior starts to change, they yep. can get something back. If they start to change their attitude, they can get this back. So, mm -hmm. This was for pretty extreme cases when people have really lost any hope of the kid being redeemable. You, you go to this sort of measure. What they're finding now, though, is that by doing this, it can cause real psychological damage to a child. It can lower their self-esteem. They have some mental health problems. Um, they also don't trust their parents. It encourages secretive behavior because they feel as though they have to hide everything from their parents or they'll get in trouble again. And, but there are parents that say, look, I had to do this as a last resort. It was the only way I could gain control over my child. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Sounds familiar. And so <laughs> when, were you a commando parent or were you more of a, eh, like a commando light parent? Uh, I don't know about the – well, we wouldn't read books on it. We didn't see Dr. Phil on it. I guess we did do some research. Rye was really out of control, and we took everything out of his room. I mean everything. He had just a mattress on the floor and a pillow. That was it. We closed the door, kept him in there. Um, he We sent food in, and he was allowed to come out to eat. Uh, go ahead, come out to go to the bathroom. Uh, that was it. 
And then I told you guys that's during the pre-show, and you're like, maybe we should get Rye on the phone and see if it worked and find out if, you know, if it, if it, if it messed him up. <laughs> well, well, what can I ask? I mean, you don't have to reveal too much, but was his behavior so bad that you thought that it could cause, that he was going to be hazardous to himself or to somebody else? I, I cannot remember why we were trying to break the wild pony. Um, I don't remember the catalyst. I just remember hauling everything out of there and putting it into the hallway, this little tiny house we lived in. And then these guys were doing some construction in the house. They're like, uh, can, can we get by this bed frame? It was in the hallway. All of his stuff was out there. And they're like, is there, is there a kid in there? We're like, yeah, there's our kid in there. And we, they'd see us open the door. And, and it was like, if we could have, we would have slid food under the door. Um, you know, it's kind of a Hannibal Lecter thing we had. We had them all. He had a big mask <laughs> on. <laughs> these what, what, weird uh, spiky things in front of his mouth. How long did you mm. put him through this? Four years. Four, four, <laughs> four and a half years. No, uh-huh. I, I, it wasn't that long, but it was hard because we, we didn't know what other, we had no other recourse. And I can't remember why. Isn't that odd? You can't remember why and whether it worked or not. But it was one of these things. It was really difficult because... We're, I think of ourselves, Lace and I were good parents. I mean, you sort of figured out as you go along, tried to do the best we possibly could. We tried to read as much as we could. We went to different seminars and things, learning how to, to, um, but he'd always been a tough kid. Always, he's the reason we didn't, we were going to have four, but then when he was so horrible when he was a baby and then just tough kid to have to deal with. Always said he was like reincarnated, that he was just uncomfortable being a kid that didn't have the tools to communicate beyond. Um, and you can you hear him on the radio now, and he's really an amazing human being. But boy, he just really had a difficult time with his childhood. Um, but you know, things worked out. And if you had him on the radio, I, I'm I'm sure he would remember that, and um, he would probably make some sort of remark about why are you bringing this back up again, Jacob? But, <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. That's that was my yeah. hesitancy in reaching out, is we don't have a song that's. Um, I don't yeah, know, talking about childhood trauma with with Rye or something. Well, that was the big thing, right? It was Dr. Spock's book that came out in the 60s and, you know, Spear the Rod, Spoil the Child. And the spanking was was not frowned upon and, you know, tough discipline uh, to get the kid to sort of learn the rules and the boundaries and make them accountable for their behavior. We've gone away from that where people are really concerned about the self-esteem of the child. Self-esteem is earned. It's just not given or not just assume that the kid is going to have self-esteem and all these things are just you assume the self-esteem is there and then you do everything you can to possibly protect it by, you know, giving everybody a trophy and sort of this more lax parenting. Do they say this is a new type of parenting that has come out? Oh, no, this is an old type of parenting, and it's something that's that's being looked at again because I guess people are, you know, examining it. But no, this is not new. This is this is actually old and it's being discredited as something that's that's probably not very effective. However, when you Mm -hmm. consider the stories that we talk about all the time with the kids being unable to or unwilling to want to drive a car or talk on the phone or do anything, I mean, there is a level of coddling, I think, that goes on now. And again, I don't have children, so I I, I don't really have a, a very strong opinion about this because I don't know what it would be like to have to deal with a discipline problem. It would be very, very hard to know what the right thing to do is and what the outcome mm-hmm. would be ultimately. Um, so, you know, everybody's a, you know, kind of Monday morning, morning, uh, quarterback on this stuff, but it's, it's, it's really, when you look at 
there's a there was a book that went that, that came out of many years ago, and I can't remember what it's called. It's called something like Parents Don't Matter, and it essentially mm-hmm. said that you can do anything. You can you can try as hard as you want to be a good parent, but for the most part, most of the influence comes from kids' peers, and that that's where they're really going to get the the form their formative years are going to be shaped mostly by their peers and their environment. Oh yeah, that parenting oh, yeah. is eh, a little bit uh, irrelevant sometimes. So you do the best you can, you try the best you can to to, to help them and put them on the right track and hope for the best. I think it's consistency was the thing that we were always told to be consistent, always have the boundaries and stay consistent with these. Don't don't waver on them and then try to keep open lines of communication between your kids so that as they age and they go out into the world and they're affected by their peers and culture, that they can come to you and talk to you, that they should always be able to talk to you. Um, And if you can keep those lines open and they since they have, you know, a like a port in the storm, a lighthouse that they can go to it that's consistently there all the time for them. And then as you get older, you don't judge them as they're bringing stuff to you. You don't they overreact. Oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. Yeah, you, you just sort of, you can have the overreaction at night when they've gone to bed. You're like, oh, my God, did you hear what he said to us? But you, you just, you want to always make sure that they feel safe to be able to tell you what's happening in their life. So there you go. That's all the advice we have for you. All right, now go get them, everybody. Go parent better. <laughs> Nate, go get them. Got yeah, there at the that helped me out. Traffic desk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> you know, it's you're up late. You're trying to book a flight somewhere, like the Sydney, Australia, and you clicky click and you're clicking across thing and you're like yeah and then you're like well okay i'll take that yeah hey that's a good man that is cheap look at that i can fly from new york to sydney for just what a a couple two three four hundred bucks i don't know what his round trip ticket was but well it didn't work out that way sherry did it Sherry. <laughs> Sherry there? Just uh, a, she's connected, I think. Disembodied voice in the back. I, I think oh, she's, she's talking to back. Yeah, skip over her. Jacob, <laughs> okay. is there sound on this poor guy? Here's the <laughs> there deal. Is, yeah. So he's planning a trip to Sydney, Australia, and accidentally books a flight to Sydney, Montana. Here's a story about a man who thought he'd bagged a bargain. A $700 trip from New York to Sydney, Australia. I saw mountain top yeah. covered with white snow. At that point, I knew I was in trouble. Mr Barnett was indeed heading to Sydney, except it was a different Sydney, in a different time zone in freezing cold Montana. It's a matter of acronyms, the SYD as opposed to SDY. Somebody has to fix that. The giveaway came when he touched down after the first leg at a town called Billings and saw the plane that was going to take him to his final destination. It was really funny. Kingsley came and he goes, I've got a problem. The lady behind the counter, Carol, was kind. For Carol, it was not a paycheck. It was a human being she was dealing with. Imagine how it would feel to think you're landing in Sydney, Australia, and here you are in Billings, Montana. Billings hotel manager Shelley Mann seemed to be the only one unsurprised. It's the second time 
we have had a guest who was trying to get to Sydney, Australia. But of course he could have stayed to explore Billings, a former railroad town, now home to the tallest building in a five-state area, and uh, Boot Hill Cemetery, where most residents died with their boots on. He goes, I want to go see kangaroos. He was so excited to see kangaroos, he told me. No ruse in Billings, but Mr Barnett did make a new mate. Montana didn't have kangaroos, it had carols. And that was good enough for me. The intrepid traveller will attempt the trip again in June. Oh, what I like the guy. we've Person. got here is <laughs> failure to communicate. I, I don't buy this. <laughs> what? Whoa! <laughs> hot take from Sherry. One I'm minute sorry. she's not on the air, and next minute I'm she's sorry. back on with a hot take. <laughs> sorry, sorry. She was I, charging up the hotter, the hotter take. I, I oh, was, okay. I yeah, was. she was. So I just think this, either this <laughs> guy <laughs> is so. I, I mean, how dumb can you be, right? I mean, that you. First of all, the cost of the ticket, okay? Bill, uh, Billings, Monta- or, uh, uh, Sydney, Montana versus Sydney, Australia. Oh boy, yeah. It only costs 149 bucks to go there. Come on, please. He had to know the difference. And then he gets there, and I think he thinks people are going to feel sorry for him and then maybe give him a real ticket or something like that. I just, how can anybody make that big of a mistake? Take. And, and he sees the small plane, right? He sees there's nine people on the plane. Wouldn't you at some point go, hey, hey, excuse me, um, uh, flight attendant, we are going to Sydney, Australia, right? And also, he's in the waiting room. Wow. There's a yeah, there's a thing up there. The there's there's yeah. a thing up there that says where you're going, right? Sydney. <laughs> it's just okay. Okay, then what's his motive? Why well, he do it he, then, huh? I think what he wanted is he wanted somebody. He did that on purpose, and he wanted somebody to feel sorry for him. And say, oh, the poor guy, he made a mistake. Wait he a wants minute. to see the kangaroos. He, he, bo- he intentionally booked the wrong flight, intentionally, to go there so people feel sorry for him? I don't. Either that or his IQ is, I mean, come on. It, it, how, many mista- how many mistakes in a row can you make, right? You make I think the, that question, and how many hot takes to him in a row the, can you the, make? The, the, the price of the ticket. The size of the plane, All right, I'll the, tell you what, the Ms. length of the Ms. flight. Miss Dowdy Doubt, hot yeah. take gal. Jacob's going to book this guy, and you get a chance to just, <laughs> you know, just rip him up one side right. and down the other. I'll be polite, right. but I, I'll be direct because right. I just think it's ridiculous. So his, he did it because he wanted people to feel sorry for him. All right, fine.